think I've told this story before. I played uh, football at the University of North Texas way back in the early 90s, 1991 to 95. And when I got done playing that spring semester, uh, one of our assistant coaches said, hey, Mitch, we're going to have a gathering of all the athletes at North Texas wondering if you'd like to speak to them. And I thought, well, that's an incredible honor that coach would ask me to speak to all of the athletes at the University of North Texas. I had just finished up. Great honor. And I said, coach, I would, I would love to. What would you like me to speak about? And he said, well, you want to be a preacher, right? And I said, yes, sir. He said, well, I want you to speak about five minutes. I said, I got it, coach. I kind of feel that way tonight, right? It's Christmas Eve. It's Christmas Eve. It's time to get home and uh, begin, if you haven't already, the celebrations. To enjoy a good meal together with family, maybe some friends, and wait for tomorrow. I love this time of year, and I intend not to go terribly long tonight. Y'all can pray for me for that. I want to share with you a verse of Scripture. If you can, Benji, go ahead and throw up that first slide. Maybe, maybe, there it is. This one's just to set our heart. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. This is to the shepherds. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. To these shepherds who were out in the field and the angel appeared and the glory of the Lord shone all about and they were terribly frightened. And yet this is the word that was spoken to them. That a baby has been born who is the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And as I've been saying here over the last couple of Sundays, Christmas gets a lot of accoutrements around it. But at the end of the day, when you, when you blow all that away, there's a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger, who is the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. That's what this season is all about, is to remember Him, to worship Him, to praise Him, to celebrate Him. But in many ways, the birth of Jesus Christ is just really the beginning of the story. Of a massive story of what God was doing in the world, in and through His Son, Jesus Christ. There's a passage of Scripture that I think, to some extent, wraps up this bigger story. If you didn't bring your Bible, that's okay. I didn't expect you to tonight on Christmas Eve. Maybe you did. Titus chapter 2, maybe you've got your phone, but if not, you might just want to look on the screen. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. The Apostle Paul was writing to Titus, who was leading the church on the island of Crete. And he said, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope in the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, 
who gave Himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession, zealous for good deeds. It's a little paragraph with a lot of theology. And it follows a paragraph with lots of practical stuff where the Apostle Paul was instructing Titus to teach the older men in his church to live like this and the older women to live like this so they could teach the younger women to live like this and the younger men to live like this and to encourage it, to bolster that kind of godly living. Paul said, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. I want to look at a handful of phrases with you. The first is this one. The grace of God has appeared. That's Christmas. God's grace has appeared when he sent his son Jesus Christ into the world. Again, that's obviously what we celebrate at Christmas time is the giving of God's Son, the appearing of God's grace. We're going to come back to that word grace. But God sending His Son Jesus was according to plan. It was in fulfillment of prophecy. The Messiah was to be born. And so tonight when you go home, and after dinner, and after maybe some craziness, and you lie down to go to sleep, think about the grace of God appeared some 2,000 years ago in that cradle in Bethlehem. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet, in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. When that baby was born in Bethlehem, the grace of God appeared. We might call that the cradle. The next phrase, bringing salvation to all men. If, if that first phrase is Christmas, this phrase is Good Friday, Easter. As I said, Christmas is the beginning of a larger story. God sent His Son into the world. We celebrate Christmas. But He sent His Son into the world to accomplish a salvation for His people. That baby born in Bethlehem would grow up and he would grow up and live a holy life that none of us could live in and of ourselves. And he would go to a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. Before he was born, the angel had appeared to his daddy, Joseph, and said, when the baby's born, you're to call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The angel knew exactly what this baby was coming to do. 
This baby would grow up and then he would go to a cross. And as I quote often, it's one of my favorite verses, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Part of the bigger story is that the babe of Bethlehem went to the cross and paid the penalty for your sins and mine. And then three days later, God raised him from the dead. Good Friday was his death. Easter Sunday, his resurrection. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. I trust most of you in here tonight are Christians, but maybe some of you aren't, and so glad that you're here. The dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. Friend, every single one of us are sinners. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. As the angel said to Joseph, he will save his people from their sins. It's our sins where we fall short of God's glory, where we think things we shouldn't think and say things we shouldn't say and do things we shouldn't do and feel things we shouldn't feel. We're broken people. Sin runs deep in every one of us. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. It's the just recompense for your turning away and my turning away from the glory of God to do our own thing. And yet the good news is, the gospel is, that God sent his son into the world to then grow up and go to a cross to pay for our sins. That little phrase here as well, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. We might call that the cross. The story goes on, though. The cradle, the cross. Looking for the blessed hope in the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. The cradle, the cross, we'll call this one the crown. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The eternal son of God was, was born in Bethlehem. He, he took to himself humanity and he, he grew up and then he went to a cross to pay the penalty for what we had done. The dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. But having accomplished what God had sent him for, God raised him from the dead. And Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ is alive. If you're here wondering, I've heard about this Christianity stuff all my life, but I don't get it. How can a dead guy do anything for me? He's not dead. Believe it or not. 
God raised him from the dead, and he has returned to heaven's glory. And one day, he's coming again. We live in an age of expectation, an age of anticipation, an age of looking and longing for the day when Jesus Christ will come again to make all things right. The Bible's quite clear that he will judge his enemies. He will vindicate his people. He will establish his kingdom and he will renew the whole heavens and earth. He's coming back. The Bible says the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and forever. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, we, we are looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of our great God and Savior. Christmas is just the beginning of the story. He who came and lived and died and rose is one day going to come back to make all things new. Now, the cradle, the cross, the crown. Finally, the Christian. I mean by this two things. First, what is a Christian? I want to show you this one word. I told you I'd come back to it. Grace. If you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe the, the inclination of your heart and mind is that a Christian is somebody who goes to church, somebody who maybe reads their Bible, says their prayers, somebody who tries to keep the rules. A Christian is somebody who's trying to work their way into God's favor. And maybe you've walked in tonight thinking that's what you've got to do too if you've got any hope. You recognize God is great and you know yourself to be a sinner. But your thought has been what I've got to do is do better. I've got to keep the rules. I've got to jump through the hoops. I've got to climb the ladder. And at the end of the day, cross my fingers and hope that I've done enough. Cross my fingers and hope that my good outweigh my bad. Because everything else in my life is basically earned. I earned my grades. I earned my spot on the team. I earned playing time. I earned my promotion. I earned this and I earned that, and so surely that's the way God operates too. If ever a sinner like me is going to be made right with him, i got to earn it. Wrong. 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 
from beginning to end. The message of the Bible is grace. And what grace is, is God's unmerited favor towards people like you and me who don't deserve it one whit. That's what grace is. It's God acting favorably towards us when we don't deserve it. Salvation is not earned through our good works, and it's not deserved because we've been pretty good or better than the rest. The grace of God has appeared. Grace is God acting favorably towards you and me when we don't deserve it because of our sin. Friend, you can't jump through any hoops. You'll keep stumbling over them. You can't keep the rules. You'll keep breaking them. You can't climb some moral ladder. One step up, two steps back. You and I are hopeless apart from the grace of God. If you hear anything tonight, please hear that. Christianity is not about do. It's about done. God sent His Son to do it for you. He lived a holy life you couldn't live. He died upon a cross to pay the penalty for your sins. He rose again. He is alive and He can forgive your sins and He can take His righteousness and, fancy word, impute it to your account. Even though you're not righteous, through his son Jesus, he will consider you righteous. And he'll make you part of his family. See that phrase down here? He gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed to purify for himself a people as his own possession. He wants to make you part of his family. Own you. It's of grace, friend. That's why the most popular song in the English language is Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Amazing Grace, not Amazing Mitch, Amazing Tara, Amazing Justin, Amazing Grace. That's what a Christian is. This is for those of us who know the Lord. Look what this grace does. It not only saves us, but it instructs us. Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And there at the end, he came to do that, to purify himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Notice the order. The grace of God appears, saves his people, and then they live. They deny ungodliness and live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ. And having been saved by grace through faith in Christ, we're united to Jesus. His Holy Spirit comes 
to reside in us, and he begins to give us new desires to want to go and live for him and for others, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. He takes us as we are, but praise God, he never leaves us as we are. So tonight, as you and I go home, as we ponder, as we celebrate, as we wonder, maybe as well we would pray. And we would ask the Lord God that he would give us a a renewed zeal. Renewed zeal. There it is, zealous, earnest, eager. A new eagerness, a new earnestness, a new zeal to live for his glory, for his purposes, to be a people of grace and love ourselves. Amen? Back to this word grace real quick. One of the most famous Christmas passages is in the Bible. It's kind of one of the most theological. It's from the Gospel of John, and, and John opens up his Gospel in these fabulous words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So he's, he's talking there about the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's talking about the Son, the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And a handful of verses later, he says this, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So that eternal Word of God became flesh. He became one of us. That's the baby in the manger. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Listen to this. I'm almost done. And we saw His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John the Baptist testified about Him and cried out saying, This is He of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for He existed before me. And then the Apostle John says, For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. What does that mean? I don't know. Sounds good, though. Grace upon grace. I need grace. You need grace. And in Jesus Christ, the Apostle John says, Of his fullness we have all received, and grace and grace and grace. He goes on. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Hey, John, tell me about profound Christmas. Oh, man. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Wow. When you think about that, John, what's the one word that pops into your mind, and you got to use it over and over and over and over again. 
grace, grace upon grace, grace. Amazing grace, huh? The grace of God has appeared. Let's pray. Ask the worship team to come up. And then we're going to sing one last song together and celebrate the light of the world. Father in heaven, this Christmas, would you impress upon us more than ever before the amazing grace of God. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. But you, because of your great love with which you loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace we have been saved. This is amazing. Impress it upon us, Lord, that our lives would never be the same. Our lives would never be the same. Seeing the glory of God, seeing the grace of God, we would live to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. And Lord, any friends here tonight who came in thinking that your love is earned, that your love is somehow deserved through goodness, help them to see that your love is bestowed of grace. Help them to take hold of Jesus Christ tonight. They would turn in their hearts even right now, admitting to him, confessing to him that they are a sinner, realizing that they are, their sins have separated them from him, admitting that they can't do anything to save themselves, but maybe then thanking you because they realize now that you've done it all. Thanking you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, into the world to be a savior for them. And then maybe they would say, please, please, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive my sins. Make me the man, the woman you want me to be. Be the leader of my life. Maybe you would call them right now. Oh, Lord, we will pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus, turn me back on, Charlie. Said of himself, I'm the light of the world. He came into the darkness of man's rebellion and sin as the light of the world. And 
he calls those of us who are his followers, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does a man light a lamp and put it under a bushel. But he puts it up on the lampstand that it might give light to the whole house. Therefore, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so tonight, as we light these candles together, we want to remember Jesus who came into the darkness to save us. And then remember that he has entrusted that light to us that we might go and share it with others. And so I'll light it. I think we might have another light around here somewhere. And then we'll just pass this light on as a remembrance that as we leave, go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born.
Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then he said to you, if you, if you could, just for a moment, imagine if I were sitting back in my seat and through those doors walked the Son of God. And he came up on this stage and Jesus Christ, the Lord of heaven and earth, said to you and me, eyeball to eyeball, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Friends, if we imagine that. If that were to happen, I think we would leave a little bit differently. But brothers and sisters, we believe that Jesus Christ is speaking just as authoritatively through his word as if he were here in person. The word of God is authoritative. You are the light of the world. He has purified a people for his own possession that they might be zealous for good deeds. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good deeds. I think Jesus would want us to leave earnest, eager, zealous to be a people of love, a people of grace, a people of kindness, a people of good deeds. May God bless you. May you have a very, very Merry Christmas. You are loved. You are sent to joyfully follow Jesus and help others do the same.